Welcome to UTB Community. I am Elliot Shibley, and here with me, as always, is the ardent Robert Domena. Ardent. Thank you. I was actually looking at that word. You uh, you almost stole it from me, oh. but uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, so no before we get into the podcast today, I want to give you a brief overview of who we actually have on, and that is Scott Light of Ethnobotanical Company. He has been on the podcast now five times, and Today, instead of breaking down psychoactive plants or animals and all the other things that we've talked about with him, we're actually just focusing on his tour company, which provides tours to the Amazon rainforest. We got into detail about each, some of the individual tours, which uh, you can look for coffee beans and where they grow in the Amazon. You can look for chocolate. You can spend time with the local tribe. And so it was really informative. His tours sound amazing. And we actually plan on doing one one day. I, I, it's not a matter of, of if, but just when, I think, yep. for us to go back to the Amazon and, and spend time there. It, it, if you go to his website, you can see pictures of the local tribe. And it's a really cool way to just get a better grasp and understanding of what his tours consist of. And so they're, they're really awesome. And if you're listening to this and you would like to join Elliot and myself in the Amazon jungle, shoot us an email and we'll put you on the waiting list for when we do actually book this tour. We'll reach back out to you and we'll hang out. We'll go down to the Amazon together and it'll be an amazing time. So, so we're looking forward to that one day. Bring bug spray. Yes. Now, before we get into the actual episode, I'm going to go through some of our marketing stuff that we have going on. Uh, as always, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and in our private Travel Blueprint community groups. Uh, we post pictures provided by our, by our guests to coincide with the actual episode, and you can ask us or the guests questions directly. And you can let us know what you think about the episode and what you think about the podcast. Uh, subscribe to us on YouTube. Subscribe to us to the podcast if this is your first time listening and you like it. And please share our podcast with your friends and family. Uh, we post a new podcast every Monday, and we post a new Travel Around Table episode every Friday, uh, every last Friday of the month. And we have a new Travel Bites episode the first Monday of each month. You got to follow all that. And for our website, we now have been putting out a newsletter. And if you subscribe to the newsletter, you'll get a free travel cheat sheet, which is about six pages of a brief overview of everything you need to know about travel. And then Bob has been working diligently to promote his consulting services. And we are providing an example itinerary that you'll be able to see what you'll get once you do the consulting services with Bob. And we have our Traveler's Blueprint tutorial videos, which are nearing their end of their production Ooh, and will be available shortly. Um, as I mentioned before, we have our Travel Around Table series, which is continuing and will be at the last Friday of every month. And coming, actually, currently we have specific tours with Keschler Tybert that are only available through our website for Philadelphia. So check those out, and now let's get into the episode with Scott. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Scott, welcome back to the podcast. This will be your fourth time on the podcast, which is awesome. Uh, welcome. Thank you guys for having me. Always glad to be here. So I guess we realized going through these podcasts with you that we've talked about psychedelics and we've talked about... Wait, is this the fourth or the fifth? This is the fourth, right? Yeah, I'm not sure either, actually. Oh, I, I think it's four, but... So let's, let's just run through a... a an outline, just, I mean, for our listeners, too, they'll be able to go back. So the first time you came on, we talked about ayahuasca retreats mm -hmm. in Peru. Yep. The second time you came on, we talked about psychoactive drugs around the world. Yep. Conversation three, we talked about... Uh, Aztec. Aztec. The Aztecs. Yep. yep. And then the fourth conversation was yes. actually on five. animals as medicine and animals as drugs. Yep. Right. And now this is the fifth conversation okay. we're having with you. Okay. And it is we're actually, five, yeah. and we're going to get to your company, Ethnoco, and get into the tours that you offer and how people can actually explore the Amazon. Because for travelers, I think for a majority of travelers, exploring the Amazon is sort of off limits. You, 
you can't just walk into the Amazon. You, no matter how much planning you do, um, it's it's just a dangerous place to be unless you have the appropriate guides with you and and you know what to do and what to look for and how to take care of yourself. So what you offer is great for people who don't really get to travel that often or don't have the opportunity to put into the extensive research. And so that's that's what we're going to go into today, the tours that you offer and, and what people can expect to experience with you. Yeah, exactly. Um, one of the first things I'll say is that, you know, a lot of people who come to Peru will, they'll, they'll be in Cusco and they're, they'll say, oh, I, I'm going to Iquitos to, uh, to visit the Amazon. And I'm always in my head like, why in the world would you fly, take two planes? Well, there is a direct flight, I think, now from Iquitos, uh, Cusco to Iquitos. But most people fly Cusco, Lima, Lima, Iquitos. Then they take a boat and you have to take a boat for like, multiple like 12 to you know 12 hours to a couple days to get anywhere um near pristine rainforest in Iquitos. Iquitos is a giant jungle city for those who don't know and um I'm sure Iquitos has some great uh jungle in certain areas the city of Iquitos I've heard is kind of dangerous and dirty sort of uh still has the feeling of a frontier town but I, I'm just like looking at these people who are in Cusco and I'm thinking there is the most pristine jungle on planet Earth is six hours north of Cusco. And you're going to fly to Iquitos. I think Iquitos has just done a much better marketing job. And most people don't know anything about Manu National Park, which is, which is where we go. Now, most of the tours are in what is known as the cultural zone of Manu. Manu has three zones. Um, it's about, I think, the, I, I think I got the right number here. It's about 1.4 million hectares. So a hectare is 4.4 acres. So it's like 5 million acres. It's like the size of Rhode Island or something. Maybe bigger. I think it's bigger than Rhode Island. It's huge. Um, and it's one of the most pristine jungles left on planet Earth. And it's only six hours. The, the beginning of it is only six hours north of Cusco. So anyone who wants to go to the Amazon, if you're going to be in Cusco, there is absolutely no need to fly to Iquitos. You can simply take a van, uh, you know, six to eight hours north of Cusco and be in one of the nicest jungles left on planet Earth. So, uh, we'll, you know, I'll open with that. So anyone in Cusco should definitely look into Manu. Well, that's, that's so really. The that's one really, thing with Iquitos is that it is actually on the Amazon. That's true. Well, but it's not the Amazon proper. It's on, um, it's on the, is it the Rio Napo? I think what the, it's the convergence of the Rio Napo and the Rio Maron, I believe down near Manaus. I can look at a map, but, uh. I don't well, think that's, it's, and that's if you look at Google, it does say it's on the Amazon. Okay, you might you might be right. Let me uh, let's look at the map here. So something interesting to me about um, going into the Amazon through Cusco mm -hmm. is that most people who visit Peru are going to be in Cusco anyway. Exactly. So, exactly. I mean, I can't imagine that many tourists even visit Peru without entering Cusco at some point in their trip. Right, And to be able to use that as a jumping off point, not only for Machu Picchu, but then to come back and then use it as a jumping off point to go into the, the Amazon would save you a ton of time. It, it absolutely does. And, um, you know, in, in my opinion, the, the quality of the jungle is, is a bit better in Manu. Um, however, as you, as you said, you, you, you really need to go with a guide. I mean, if you're really adventurous, sure, you, you could go on your own. Um, and it's not like if you know what you're doing in a in a even in a slight way, you'll you'll be fine. But you know, there's certain things that that you need to know when you when you go to the will, Amazon. Will you be fine? So this is I mean I, I believe you, but I'm, I'm asking more rhetorically. Like so, let's actually jump into the dangers because that's probably the biggest concern for a lot of people. Even thinking about going to the Amazon, you have jaguars, you have anacondas, and piranhas and crocodiles and poisonous snakes and poisonous spiders. You have, um, you know, potentially hostile tribes. I think there might be more in inland, maybe into the Amazon, but yeah. Uh, and then, and then not to mention yellow fever and malaria and things like that. So how can people be put at ease when going into the Amazon for, for this? So the first thing I'll say is that uh, during this, during this talk, I'm going to tell some stories that are, uh, from my days when I didn't know very well what I was doing, like in 2010 when I first started going, or from times that we knew we were going into danger, um, and we did it purposely. 
so my, my 60 year old mother has been uh, twice with me to the Amazon rainforest. And obviously for her, and she took three of her friends who are in their, you know, early to mid sixties. So some of these stories I'm going to tell might sound scary, but don't worry. I won't, you know, I'm not going to put tourist or uh, expedition members into danger unless that's where they want to go. I recently had this guy, uh, he wanted to go on a tour. It was like a private tour. He, you know, he paid out the money to have a private tour. So it was just like uh, me, him, and, and two other people, and, and Isabel. So it was only three tours. So it was a fairly small group. And this guy was paying for everything. So, you know, he was sort of the, uh, we, we were going to do what he wants. And I asked him, I said, on a scale of one to 10, how much, you know, adventure slash danger do you want? And he said, 11. And I said, all right, man. Okay. Oh boy. <laughs> so, so yeah, just keep in mind while I'm telling these stories, like if, if anyone wants to go to the Amazon rainforest with me, unless you want to do that extreme intense sort of expedition, we certainly don't have to. I would say that the tour I took my, my mom on was like a four. Um, and, and a four or five is, is where I like to keep it at for most groups, you know, like a, a few steps outside of their comfort zone, you know, push the envelope a little bit, but not too much. Um, but yeah, back to some of the some of the dangers in the Amazon rainforest. So the thing I'm probably the most scared of is snakes, because when we're in certain areas, now this is not where I take my normal tours. My normal tours, we have an evacuation plan and how we could get someone out. And there's some some medical posts and, and different things um, that we are in contact with and we can call them. And we also have a car where we can quickly go. They have anti-venom and, and you'll, you'll be fine. Uh, but some of the extreme expeditions that we do, we go to very, very remote regions. And if you were to get bit by a snake, so, I mean, it could be as simple as you put your hand on a tree to lean up against a tree and it's just, it bites you and you're, you're dead. Like, I mean, or you're going to have to have your arm amputated or something. Um, so snakes are really dangerous. And that's the number one thing I'm scared of. But the, uh, you know, it, it, there may be more dangerous things, but that's sort of the thing that, that bothers me the, no, the most because I feel like I have the, the least amount of control over it. So, um, so if you are in the Amazon and you do get bit, bitten by a snake, you could, it could very well be the end for you because you are so far removed from a hospital. And so that is a risk everybody should be willing to take going into the Amazon jungle. Yep, it, just exactly. As, just as if you... You, you take on that risk anytime you hike, uh, you know, Glacier National Park up there. Yep. Couldn't eat you. Yep. So, I mean, I will say, you know, I've probably taken, I don't know, like 400 people to the Amazon, 350 to 450, and no one's been bitten by a snake. So <laughs> I've been doing this for a decade, and I've taken 400 more or less people to the jungle, and no one has been bitten by a snake. As a matter of fact, we've only seen snakes like... I don't know, like 10 times, but that doesn't mean we haven't been around them more often than that. Uh, so I'll tell a real quick story. So this guy, to be clear, this guy was not on a trip with me. He was someone that I, that I, I met on a trip. This is in 2013. We had gone to the uh, remote native Machinga village of Shipatieri, and we were on the way back and we saw these gringos and we we're like, like, I mean, we're in the middle of the rainforest, like extremely remote. And I see this gringo white guy walking down the street. I'm like, hey, hey, man, what's up? And he talks to me in perfect English. He's like, oh, hey, you know. And I was like, wow, what, what are you doing here? And um, so he had came. They were from Alaska. This dude is like six foot four, like 250 pounds. And uh, they were hunting illegally in Manu National Park. These were guys that like worked on like mines or like oil fields or something. And they had a bunch of money. And the guy that was leading them was a Peruvian. Um, but yeah, they, so right off the bat, they're kind of like, they're hunting illegally in a national park. Um, right. why did you know they were hunting illegally? Cause they told me that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, they were like, we're hunting. And I, I didn't, I mean, I was just like, Oh, okay. Like I didn't say, you know, well, you know, this is a, like a park, right? Um, now the natives are allowed to hunt. Um, the natives are only supposed to hunt with bow and arrow, but some of them have like really old crappy shotguns and stuff that they also use. 
but actually mostly they hunt with bow and arrow and the natives are allowed to hunt. But, uh, you know, some Peruvian from Lima or some white dude, you're not, they're not allowed to hunt, but that's what they were doing. But anyway, um, the next day they, they went hunting and they, and they took one of the, uh, they took one of the people with them one from, from my group. And I, they like, it was a girl. And of course the girl got to go, but none of the guys got to go. So these, these dudes are, hmm. these dudes are a little funny. Um, it's like, oh, you're invited, but not them. You know, right. so I, I don't know. Anyway, so this dude, they saw the Bushmaster. Um, the Bushmaster is one of the most dangerous snakes in the Amazon. It's the largest poisonous snake in the world. And they say that, I don't know how large it gets exactly. I think like eight to 12 feet or something. It's really big. Wow. But they say it's big enough to, uh, to rear up and bite a man in the face. So it must be pretty big. And it's, it's, it's territorial. So I actually heard a story from one of my guides and his dad said that he met this huge Bushmaster on the trail. You know, he described it as being like 15 or 20 feet long, which I probably wasn't, but he was like, it was huge. And so he was walking down the path and the snake saw him and he turned around and started to run and the snake chased him. So it's a, it's a really mean snake. Wow. so, uh, so these guys are out hunting illegally like idiots and they see a Bushmaster. It wasn't a really big one. They see a Bushmaster. So they, they shoot it. Right. Because they're, cause they're assholes. Um, no, I mean, I would just stay away from it. There's no need to kill it. If you, if, unless it's chasing you, if you t- if it's chasing you shoot it, but, right. uh, but so they shoot it and this idiot wants a picture with it. So he goes over and picks it up and it bites him because it's not Ooh. dead. <laughs> so, <laughs> So this, I mean, these guys are just like, I was just like, what are, you know, even in 2000, yeah, they just were being so stupid. Um, so he gets bit by this snake. Uh, it's like the sun's going down. We, we were hanging out in this little, uh, little village called, uh, oh goodness. I can't remember the name of it. Itwania. Um, because we were, we were stuck there. This was a very, uh, underfunded expedition and we were, we were waiting on a truck. Well, anyway, we see this car come flying down the road, like going like 80 miles an hour, which is very strange for that area. And we're like, man, what's going on? So we, we, the truck pulls up to the medical post and, you know, there's nothing else going on in the town. So of course we walk up to see what's going on and it's the big six foot four Alaskan dude. And, uh, he doesn't look good. He looks sick and he had been, you know, bitten by the snake. So they, they take him into the, to the room and, and like, you know, we walk up and we're like, yeah, is there anything we can do to help? Um, I, I had a snake bite kit, but at that point he had been so deep in the jungle that it, I, I, the suction thing, I also have this thing that'll shock you. And it actually, um, it denatures the proteins in the venom, but you have to do it extremely quickly. Um, so anyway, this dude's super sick. He starts like foaming at the mouth and convulsing. And I look at my friends and I was like, let's, let's not watch this. This dude's going to die. Um, so about five minutes later, this, another truck comes flying down the road. They run in the medical post and they, they had the anti-venom and at this, you know, I'm still kind of looking, trying not to like gawk or, you know, make, you know, not, not watch too much. This guy die, but interested in what happens. So they, they get in there, they take the syringe and he goes from like convulsing and foaming at the mouth. They shoot him up, and in like 15 seconds, 30 seconds, he's back to normal. Like, he just just came back to life, like, immediately. And he was like, oh, I, I feel much better. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I mean, he was uh, so close to death. He looked like he was going to die. And, and if he had not been six foot four and, you know, 250, 300 pounds, I'm pretty sure he would have died. If that thing yeah. had bit me, I would have been dead. Um, wow. So you just got to take, you know – common sense, basic precautions. If it had been anybody on my trip, uh, I would have been like, absolutely, whatever you do, do not touch that snake. I don't care if you think it's dead or whatever. Don't touch it. It's not worth the risk. You can take a picture of it from far away, you know? Yeah. So, snakes. Yeah, yeah. Stay away from all snakes. Just, yeah. I think that's a good life tip in general. Uh, yes. But especially in the Amazon rainforest. Yeah. Now, uh, one time we were with one of our jungle guides and uh, he found this, I can't remember the actual name of the snake, but it's really interesting looking. It looks like a green ribbon, like it's really um, thin in the, in the middle and it's this 
beautiful green snake and my jungle guide was was very confident in that it was not uh, poisonous and he picked it up but even then i still told all my uh tourists don't touch it you need to look at it take pictures of it we're, we're you know sure it's not poisonous but still it's just not worth the risk so yeah yeah never never mess with snakes unless you know exactly what you're doing yeah unless you're a herpetologist or whatever it is they call them i would just just stay away from snakes Okay. Yeah. Noted. Yeah. In Pennsylvania, we do have the very prevalent rattlesnake, especially on the Appalachian Trail. Right. Yeah. Stay away from um, those two. And the copperheads. Yeah. Yeah. We got the copperheads here in North Carolina and water moccasins, maybe. Yeah. Um, some of the other dangers, you know, besides snakes, of course, there's the the boat can be, excuse me, the boat can be slightly dangerous if uh if you're not with a there's these tourist boats and they have licensed drivers. The drivers must like pass a test and get a permit and do all these things. Um, if you go with them, you'll be totally fine. I mean, that's as, that's as safe as it gets. Those guys, many of them have been working on the river for 20, 30 years, maybe more. Um, a lot of them are Machinga, So they, they know exactly what they're doing. However, back in the day, uh, you know, when, on underfunded expeditions, we would just wait on the side of the river and catch these uh, just like random boats. So another, another danger story. Um, so one time I was with this girl, uh, Loren, who is a French girl, but she speaks uh, Spanish and English and a, a number of languages. And at the time it was 2012, I didn't speak uh, much Spanish. So I needed somebody to come on this trip and, and help translate for me. So we, uh, we went down again to the, the community of Shipetieri and we were looking for this shaman to, to do ayahuasca with. Well, the shaman was, they said he was off fishing uh, and he was off fishing for a long time. He never came back. So eventually we just left. Um, and we sort of got back to the very edge of civilization to this tiny town, uh, which has like 20 buildings in it. And we decided, you know, let's, let's just, let's push it a little more. Let's see how far we can go. So we, took about a 12 or 14 hour boat ride down river to this, this um, town called Boca Manu, which is at the mouth of the Rio Manu. That was great. That was cool. We saw some river otters. Um, and instead of going back up river, we decide to go down river. So we, we stood uh, down river towards Puerto Maldonado, which is where the jungle starts to get screwed up. Oh, also you don't want to go to Puerto Maldonado either. There's a reserve called Tambopata. But Porta, which Tambopata is probably very nice, but you have to go through Puerto Malonado to, uh, to get to Tambopata. Puerto Malonado is a little dangerous. There's a lot of illegal gold mining and stuff there. And of course, I'm biased. So anyone listening to this, you know, like, yeah, I'm definitely biased to Manu. Um, so if you've been there, nothing wrong with that. But um, <laughs> anyway, so we are traveling between Boca Manu and Boca, Colorado. And I'm sort of standing on the front of the boat. Lorenz like sitting there reading a book or whatever. And all of a sudden, I am flying through the air. I went from standing on the boat to just flying. And like everything slowed down, all the adrenaline hit me. I sort of was able to turn around and I saw uh, Lorenz's camera. It was like a $2,500 camera flying at me. I was able, I reached for it and it just grazed the tips of my fingers and then plunk, landed in the water. So I, I stand up. The water is not that deep, but I was, you know, covered in water and and I climb back up on the boat and I look at Loren and her leg is covered in blood and she had been crushed between a barrel of oil and the boat or the boat and a rock or something. And her leg was broken. So oh. this is the, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. And we never, ever, ever use these non-tourist boats anymore. The only reason it crashed was because it was full of barrels of oil and the boat was sitting super low in the water. Um, and that's that's why it crashed. So we never ever ever do this anymore. But uh, in this case, we did. And so Lorenz, like, I think my leg is broken. And the adrenaline came over me so strong, it felt like I was high on some super powerful drug. Like it was a, it's actually a really good feeling. But <laughs> but I was I was scared at the Heart same pounding. time. pounding. Yeah yeah. Um, and I I was almost gonna freak out, but. I realized that was the wrong thing to do. So I went on the opposite end of the spectrum. I was like, nah, your leg's not broken. You're fine. Like, <laughs> and I knew that wasn't true, but I just wanted to, you know, be calm. 
Um, so we end up uh, getting out of, we uh, got the boat unstuck, traveled down river a little bit more. That night we, we slept in this tiny town of Puerto Azul. And we were told there was like a medical post there. So we, we get to the town, uh, we carry Loren up on the, on the bank, and this guy walks up with cotton balls and a bottle of alcohol. That was the medical post. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I had to clean Loren's wound myself. Um, luckily, it was just like a, the, the bone just had a fracture in it. It didn't, um, you know, come was, out of the skin. It, yeah, it wasn't a down. clean break. Right. Sounds, sounds like it was just a hairline fracture. Exactly. Yeah, it was. And uh, so that night we, we laid Loren on a bench. I tried to find some food. I don't think we could find any food. Um, and the whole night I laid in my tent and I would just click my light on and off to make sure that uh, the pool of blood under the bench had not grown. And so the next day at like 4.30 a.m. Uh, before the dawn, we get Loren back on the boat. And uh, I tell the boat driver, I was like, you know, if you wreck again, she's going to die. And he was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, okay. Um, so we end up getting down to Boca, Colorado. Boca, Colorado is out of the pristine part of the Amazon. And we are now in uh, illegal gold mining territory. Uh, we, we rock up in this town and there are like prostitutes, drunk dudes, and there are stores that buy gold. Like you could buy a beer with gold powder. It's, it's like the wild, wild west. And uh, the police, you know, of course, gringos being there, we attract some attention. Everyone was really nice, though. Like prostitutes drunk, but everyone was nice. Um, <laughs> so, um, so, you know, we attracted some attention. Uh, we're carrying Loren on this like uh, blanket thing. And uh, the guys from the boat are doing the best they can to help. Uh, and the police come up. And they're like, uh, so what happened? You know, who, the boat driver had, had left at this point. I think he saw the police coming. And um, the police are like, so who's the boat driver? We're going to arrest him because it's illegal for, for non-tourist boats to carry tourists. And Loren's like, no, it's fine. Like, it was our choice and, and wouldn't give any information. So there was a little medical post in Boca, Colorado. We had uh, Loren's leg cleaned up a bit. And then we spent the next, you know, 18 hours getting back to Cusco. I asked her, do you want to go to Puerto Maldonado or do you want to go to Cusco? She's like, up to you. I'll go wherever you want to go. She's like, I think I can make it to Cusco. So she actually chose the further away place. So we get to Cusco wow. at like 5 a.m. I get her in a hospital. And uh, I was like, Loren, you're in a hospital now. I have to go collapse and sleep because I haven't slept more than like four hours in three days. So, uh, I came back to visit her later. They had given her some morphine and she was in a good mood. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it, it seems like through these mistakes, you really know what not to do and therefore know what to do. Absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've tried to, uh, to learn. And obviously, you know, like I said before, my mom's been on trips with me. I, I would not want my mom to anything to happen to her. Right. So uh, we're very, very careful now. As a matter of fact, safety is our number one, uh, our number one goal. Um, I always say it's, 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 uh, there's three things we want to do. Safety is number one, you know, learning is number two and uh, having fun is number three, but safety is definitely number one. So uh, don't worry, we won't uh, crash in a boat full of barrels of oil if you come to the jungle with me. <laughs> so what are some of your more popular tours that you offer? So uh, yeah, the, the Mano Jungle Tour, and there's two, uh, two or three different types of Mano Jungle Tours. So one would be the sort of standard jungle tour, which is four or five days. Uh, we leave out of Cusco early in the morning. We take the six-hour drive to Mano, usually arrive at three or four in the afternoon. Um, we visit some petroglyphs. We look for animals. Uh, we visit a native community, a Wakaria. Uh, and there's an animal sanctuary as well where animals that have been injured or uh, the orphaned animals, they're brought to this sanctuary. So it's not a zoo. It's not like they don't capture animals and put them there. Uh, it's a sanctuary. And um, yeah, we, we go there. What else do we do? We, we go on the boat, a tourist boat, and, uh, only for about an hour down river. No, about two, two hours, actually. 
downriver to these beautiful hot springs. There's some natural hot springs in Manu that um, just they're come out of the ground. I guess there's vol volcanic activity or something, and there's a hostel at the hot springs. And uh, yeah, you can soak in the hot springs. You can uh, look at you know birds and animals in the area. There's a there's a waterfall. And one cool thing about the hot springs is so the the river divides um, the cultural zone. Which in the cultural zone, a lot of natives live, and they're allowed to practice um, certain businesses like you know banana plantations, uh, sugarcane, coffee, chocolate, things like that. However, in the uh, in the other zone, you're not allowed to do anything. You you can't you can't grow stuff. You know, I mean, you can on a very small scale, but basically, it's for natives living a native lifestyle. So the hot springs are actually on the side of the of the it's called the intangible zone because you're not allowed to go there. But there's little tiny exceptions like the hot springs because they've been doing that for a long time. Uh, so they are still allowed to do it. Uh, what else? We, we also, when we're at the hot springs, we go visit, uh, it's called a Colpa de Loros. It's a parrot clay lick. And uh, sometimes there are a few parrots and, you, you know, you get to see a few. And sometimes there's literally hundreds, uh, red, blue, green macaws, all these different birds that come early in the morning. And uh, usually I have the guide because we always use a professional legal guide. I'm not licensed as a guide. So I'm like the uh, expedition administrator or something like that. And we have a legal guide with us as well as the legal boatman. And they take the people down, uh, down the river just about 20, 30 minutes to see the, uh, the parrots. And then when they come back, I have pancakes and breakfast ready for everybody. And uh, we eat breakfast and then sort of head back up river. So I've been following all of this as you've been talking on mm -hmm. Google Maps, and it's been really fun because all the areas you talk about are just like completely green and there's almost nothing. And yep. it is northeast, if anybody's familiar with Cusco and uh, Machu Picchu, Bocomano is northeast across the mountains, which is into the Amazon River Basin. Mm -hmm. And Cusco itself is kind of a drier steppe climate. And then yep. once you get past the mountains, it's incredibly green. While I was following along, I have a question. Mm -hmm. There's this place that popped up called the Pyramids of Paratori. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The pyramids. What are of... those? Um, so, you know, I, I couldn't, should've... I couldn't find anything or I couldn't find much about them on Google. So um, I think it's Heratori. I, I, I'm probably not pronouncing it right. Um, I should have sent you my map because my map has all these crazy locations uh, uh, written down or, or they have the little, you know, that icon on them. Um, however, you, if I send it to you, you can't share it with anybody because it has the proposed location of Paititi, the lost city of gold. Uh, which I was told not to share, but you can you can see it later. Um, <laughs> well, you can you can share that with us, and yeah. then we'll take that off and put the rest of it on. Sure, sure, <laughs> that'd be great. Um, yeah, just the guy who was looking for the lost city of gold told me not to uh, to share it with anybody. But uh, these these pyramids are so in the 1970s, uh, NASA took started taking satellite imagery of the Earth, and they saw these pyramid like structures out in the jungle. And they thought that they were potentially Paititi there, the lost city of gold. Well, they've, they've explored it a bit. And it's really, really hard to get to. Um, I mean, that's, it's a remote, there's no, there's not even a trail. You just have to like hack through the jungle. Um, you would need permits to go there nowadays. But basically it is a, um, they think it's a natural formation, but it may have been uh, altered by the hand of man slightly but it's most likely a, a natural formation so it kind of was a letdown for the people who were looking for Paititi because they thought they had found it uh but i think Paititi probably is in the area uh, for those who don't know Paititi is proposed to be this lost city of gold that was in the jungle uh some people say it was an inca stronghold and that when the inca tried to hide their riches from the spanish that they uh took it deep into the jungle. Others say that it's actually was made by the jungle natives, uh, this, this city of, of stone and wood in, in the rainforest, but no one's found it yet. 
some people say that uh, I don't know. You guys know who Percy Fawcett is? Lost City of Z. I read that book. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So Percy Fawcett was uh, looking for uh, looking for the Lost City of Z, which is just another name for Paititi. Another name, of course, is El Dorado. Um, while we're on the subject of Percy Fawcett, you know the uh, the conditions in the jungle are pretty intense, uh, and one of his uh, expedition team members of Percy Fawcett, I believe the guy's name was Henry Coston. He said, uh, that jungle is hell, but one kind of likes it. And that's one of my favorite quotes. <laughs> um, sorry, what was the question you had asked me? I totally forgot. No, the, the question was, I was genuinely curious as to what they were. Because they, ah, the pyramids, they do, that's right. On Google, they look like they are man-made structures. What can I yeah. put into Google Maps to see them? Uh, pyramids of Paratori. It's yeah, P-A-R-A-T-O-A-R-I. There are only six reviews on Google. <laughs> I, if, if, if any of those people actually went there, I would be extremely impressed. I don't know why. What are, that's interesting. Yeah, what anybody, can leave, anybody can leave a review. Um, right. There's, yeah. there's a ton of reviews uh, saying that the security at the Osama bin Laden compound is not up to par. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Did any of those reviews say that they actually went there? Um. Not to get uh, off in left so field. So only one, yeah, only one person. Someone's just said five stars. Yes, uh, I don't know okay. what that means. Uh, another right. person, it's translated, so it says if you repair it, has pyramids on every continent, and most of the people have disappeared over time. All right, that's just a general history lesson. Yeah, and then another guy said that he, so he did see it, but from afar, and that it was covered with trees. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I figured that no one would have been there. Um, so, but yeah, Paititi may be in the area. So, you know, the, the first trip we were talking about is a, uh, the one I took my mom on, the four or five day trip. And like I said, it's about a, a five out of 10 on the, you know, uh, extremeness level. Uh, the other one, my favorite trip is to the petroglyphs of Puxado. Now, Puxado is a set of petroglyphs. They're the largest petroglyphs in Peru. Some of the largest in South America, actually. Um, they think they're about 2000 years old, but they're not exactly sure. And there's many different ideas as to what these petroglyphs are. If you look up a picture of it, it's, it's amazing. Um, some think that it is the, um, visions of shamans who have been using ayahuasca or other psychoactive or psychedelic plants. And it's, it's their interpretation of their, their visions and dreams. Uh, other people I've been told that it's, it's a, a history of mythology or uh, other people said that it was information like what time of year certain trees produce fruit and in what area. And then other people, of course, think that it is a map to the lost city of Paititi. Mm -hmm. um, so when we go there, I actually have to apply for permits from the government that has like the name and the passport and all this information about each person that goes there. We have to get permission from the government to go there because it is in the, in the intangible zone. Um, but I am friends with some of the Machinga who basically guard the entrance to Pichardo. They live in a community called Palatoa Teparo, and they're extremely isolated natives. The women have nose rings, you know, one of their boobs hanging out, holding a baby. Um, and the men, you know, hunt with bow and arrows. They, they keep the uh, traditional lifestyle fairly, fairly well. You know, some of them have like normal clothes and stuff and, and metal machetes. But other than that, they are, you know, they're like native natives, like you like you would imagine. Have you ever encountered a hostile tribe? No, okay. no. But um, I'll tell I'll tell that story in a minute. <laughs> let me let me finish with Pusharo, and then we'll then we'll go into that. That's a that's a whole other thing. Um, so yeah, Pusharo. Uh, I was with the Machinga at Pusharo, um, and you have to use like government approved boats, government approved guides because, and this is great because they're trying to protect the, the area. So I'm very happy with that. But we were at the Petroglyphs of Pusharo and the, we actually, they sent a government official with us as well to make sure that we followed all the rules. And this, uh, one of the Machinga, I said, you know, could we go up there? And the government official was like, no, this is, the, you have a permit to like that rock. And I was like, that rock right there? He's like, yeah, don't go past that rock. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, so, but the Machinga told me 
that there are villages, isolated villages of Machinga who live up the river and that there are more petroglyphs and also cities of stone is what he said. And I said, cities of stone. And he said, yeah, cities of stone, but you can't go there. <laughs> <laughs> so where is, where are the Pisharo petroglyphs? Um, they are in, it's close to the pyramids, actually. I mean, not too far. Um, and just so our listeners are aware, petroglyphs are, are carved on stone. Correct. Yeah, thank right? you. Yeah. <clears throat> Whereas hieroglyphs are actually written. Right. Well, I think hi- hiero is like the uh, prefix for Egyptian, I think. So, oh, okay. I, I think. I'm not 100% sure. So, uh, but people that go on the standard four or five day tour, we actually visit some other petroglyphs called the petroglyphs of Hinkyori. And the, at the petroglyphs of Hinkyori, they're, they're smaller, but they have similar uh, symbology. And in some way, they're probably related to the petroglyphs of Pisharo. But it's cool that you can see. Um, you know, King Kyori without having to, to do the extreme trip to uh, Pushardo. Um Let's see. So yeah. a general question I had with these expeditions to the Amazon and seeing the petroglyphs are requirements for like vaccines. Are so, there anything special beyond what you would normally get for Peru? No. So one great thing about Manu, there has not been a reported case of malaria in Manu since the 1980s. So there is wow. no malaria. Um, people, is there still people, Zika? I, I, at least not in the Manu region, uh, because I would have heard about it, I'm sure, if there was. Okay. Um, so I don't believe so. There is some illnesses, but the major ones like uh, you know Zika, uh, malaria, and yellow fever are not there. So that's that's pretty cool. I know malaria is in Iquitos. I know I keep hating on Iquitos, but that, that's, that's a fact. There is <laughs> malaria. It's a shame because when I did my research, Iquitos did come up a ton. Yeah. yeah. And if, if you didn't dive into the research a little further, I could see why a lot of people would end up visiting there and not know that they weren't really getting what they were right. experiencing. Yeah, I would, I would encourage people to, uh, you know, either one is fine, but I'd say mine is better. Yeah. Um, so, oh, uh, yeah, the last thing I'll say about the Puchardo area it's, it's one of the most remote regions I've ever been to, and I've been to some pretty remote regions. So if someone's looking for a, you know, a real uh, in expedition, but I, I don't want to. So we're, we're, it's also very safe because we're with all these Machinga and government officials and stuff like that. So it's, it's not dangerous. Uh, you're not going to get in a boat crash. Don't worry. Um, so the last thing, well, not the last thing, but uh, some, the, the, the next subject, you ask about isolated natives. Um, Beyond the petroglyphs of Pusharo, in the 1990s, there was a team of, I believe it was Japanese and Americans, and they went uh, beyond the petroglyphs of Pusharo. This is before the government was like regulating stuff as well as they are now. I'm pretty sure they weren't allowed to go there. Um, but there was an isolated group of Machingas and these sort of these uh, Japanese dudes and Americans, maybe there was a French one too. They kept bothering them. They were told about five or six times to not come back, uh, which was made like very clear to them um and they kept coming back and uh the matching ambushed them and shot them full of arrows and threw their bodies in the river <laughs> yeah Whoa. yeah they were pretty uh i i heard that you know they had been like five six seven times and uh they were they were told to stay out and and, and they didn't so yeah that's what happens yeah i i mean i don't can't imagine why anybody would go back to an indigenous tribe after they they give you a verbal warning, which is actually pretty nice yeah, for yeah. an indigenous tribe to do in yep. the first place. Um, wow. So uh, the next story is really interesting. Um, but first, we need a little bit of background. So there, there's this movie. I think it's called Fitzcarraldo. I may be mispronouncing it, but you should be able to find it if you search that. Uh, there's the actual movie, and then there's the making of the movie, which is just as good as the movie, actually. And a number of people died in the making of the movie. Because this guy wanted to like do it in the Amazon. He had tribal people come and he, he hired them and paid them to, uh, to be in the movie. So it's like real native people in the movie. It's not some like, you know, costume or something. These are real native people in the movie. But uh, Fitzcarraldo, it's a true story about uh, he was a rubber baron. And for those who don't know, the rubber boom in the Amazon in the late 1800s, like 1890s, is like the Amazonian Holocaust. It was just terrible, terrible, terrible. They were you know, raped and killed and tortured and all sorts of horrible things happened to the native people and uh, enslaved because they were trying to exploit the area for rubber. 
So uh, Fitzcarraldo, I think, I can't remember if he's German or something like that. He's European of some sort. He, uh, he came down to the Amazon and he wanted to open up the headwaters of the Rio Manu uh, to rubber tapping. So he had the uh, natives that he enslaved and coerced into working for him uh, dismantle a ship and drag the ship across a mountain and plop the ship down in the, in, near the headwaters of the Rio Manu, uh, like a steamship. And uh, he then went on a, uh, a killing spree through the, uh, through the headwaters in the, of Manu. And there was a tribe called the Mashkos. There was a, one group called the Mashkos, which just means like wild ones, and the Pitos, uh, which are today known as the Yine, but they were the Pitos. So they were uh, enslaved, captured, tortured, etc., by this guy, and, or his men did it, you know. And uh, a, a group of the Mashkos and the Pitos said, you know what, screw this. I would rather just run off in the jungle than, you know, stay here any longer. So originally the, the Mashkos and the Pitos were, uh, they, they had farms, you know, they, they lived a, a settled lifestyle. They might move around sometimes, but mostly they were settled similar to the Machinga are today. Um, but now they're nomadic. So this group that left in the, in the late 1800s, uh, still to this day has not come out of the jungle. So more than 120 years later. Um, and when they see people that have clothes like us, they either run or they shoot arrows at you. And, you know, I would assume that they think that the entire planet is a giant jungle and that we are another tribe that has clothes. Um, they have very little knowledge of the outside world. Uh, sometimes they'll interact with certain, like they'll come to the edge of the river and, and try to get machetes and stuff like that. But um, my friend Leonardo, he was from one of the, the more uh, affluent families in Chipotieri. Chipotieri is the Machinga community. And the Machinga community of Chipotieri and the, the territory of the Mashcopitos uh, touch each other. So uh, Leonardo, he, because his family is in contact with the missionaries and the missionaries sort of convince uh, people to like Jesus by giving them things, which is, you know, it's a whole nother mess. Um, so Leo had this little crappy cell phone camera, right? And he's down working in a, in a yucca field, yucca is a potato-like root, and uh, he hears something off in the jungle, and he sees the mashcopitos, and they were down there pulling up some of the yucca and taking it. So he, uh, he wanted to take a picture of them, so he took a couple steps forward, and he raised the camera, and when he raised the camera, they shot him through the heart with an arrow and killed him. He was 22 years old. So wow. do you remember last year? It was, um, I think, so I, I had to look it up because I couldn't remember the exact occurrence, but his name was John Chow. Yeah. And he was, he was he the 26-year-old American who was trying to reach out to this uh, sentinel colony, which is in the... Um, Indian Ocean, yep. just south of Myanmar, east of India. Correct. And he was trying to convert this tribe to Christianity, and mm -hmm. they killed him. Yep. And you know, I he uh, this is going to sound mean, but he totally deserved that. He was told by the police and a number of of different organizations, "Do not go there." Um, it was, I think, he had been once before, and they shot arrows at him or something. Yep. He did. They, they yeah. got close, um, so he had to convince the boat driver to even go there. The boat yeah. driver warned him, but I guess you could probably pay these people enough to take you because, yep. you know, they don't have a lot of money. Right. And they got close, they shot arrows at him, and he actually has a journal entry saying yep. that he's really scared for his life, but, you know, it's God wants him to do this. So yeah. he, he did it anyway, and then they have... They have, I don't know if it's satellite imagery or drone imagery of them. A helicopter photo into, from 2004. Yeah. yeah, It's the video. Uh, he goes into the jungle and then you see them coming back out later, dragging his body and like burying it at the beach or something. Yeah. Um, you know, I like, I have no issue with missionaries going to like pre-established communities. Uh, you know, if you want to go visit, a, especially if it's already a Christian community um, and, and help them and give them food or medical supplies or whatever, that's fine. But isolated natives, you know, living in involuntary isolation, we say, uh, they, first off, how are you going to talk to them in, unless you're a linguist? Um, and second off, they are choosing to live in voluntary isolation and they, they want to be left alone. So uh, 
missionaries need to stay out of of right. native land. And not to mention the differences in immunities. We don't even know what that yes. guy did to that native population. We have no idea. He could have decimated it. No one's going to go to find out. No one should go to find out. Right. If he, if he did decimate it, then that's incredibly unfortunate. But yeah. Yeah. Well, he did. He did. He knew the potential of that, so he actually did give him himself an eleven-day quarantine, right? Where he didn't go outside at all. There was a missionary in the 1950s, I believe, in Ecuador, who uh, went to a tribe and, and told them about Jesus, and he uh, infected the tribe, and I think like eighty percent of them died. And his response was, uh, "Well, they're in heaven now because I told them about Jesus, so I'm glad I did that." Huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, guys, before I forget real quick, uh, yeah. my friend Scott Whitman, uh, if you look on, on YouTube, he's Scott Anthony with One Way Ticket. Uh, he went on an expedition with me last year, the one where the guy said crank it to 11. And uh, he's made a number of really good videos about our trips. So if you want to, uh, to check out Scott Whitman, uh, just search – or Scott Anthony, excuse me. He's, he's Scott Anthony Whitman. But uh, – Search one way ticket on uh, on YouTube and you'll find the videos and, and they're just amazing. That's perfect. Right. So that's a good way for people to get introduced to what they can expect with your tours. Absolutely. And, and uh, go ahead. No, no you can go. Uh, so real quick, I was just going to say, you know, we've been talking about the Amazon the whole time. Um, but we also do these really uh, awesome expeditions in um, in the remote Andes <coughs> on these uh, weaving tours. <coughs> Bless you. Sorry. That's okay. And, uh, and we focus on um, the Quechua culture in that case. We go visit these remote communities. Only about, I'd say, 30% of the men can speak Spanish, but 90% of the women only speak Quechua. So they're, they're, it, it is not the Sacred Valley, Chinchero. I mean, this is a real, you know, remote Quechua community. And we go there. We do like a homestay. We try the, the local cuisine. Um, we see how they make the textiles. We see their, their homes and their, their fields and their farms. And it's just a really, really authentic experience. And um, that's what my company focuses on, uh, giving people more authentic experiences. You know, you can go to Inca Disneyland, like, you know, on a, on a tour. And, and that's fine if you want to do that. But if you want the real authentic experience and you want to get out in remote areas and meet uh, native people, who are authentic natives and not putting on a show for tourists to make money. And again, there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, I prefer to, to see the real deal. Um, yeah. Obviously not isolated natives that are going to shoot arrows at us. We don't go anywhere near them. Um, right. I think that's important to, to establish is the type of traveler that you are, that you try to help. And it, some people want that touristy experience and that's perfectly fine. You yeah. got to ultimately do what you want to do when you go to these locations and you want to feel safe. Right. You know? So, but it, the, the type of tours that you offer are for the people who want to take that additional step and yep. really divulge themselves in these uh, in these cultures and get more authentic experience. It's funny that you mentioned Chinchero because that's where Elliot and I did that textile. Yeah, I mean Chinchero. It's cool. Chinchero's cool, but you know, it's it's it's, it's a, on it's on the beaten path as they yes yeah. yes. <laughs> right, it is. Right. Um, and, and I don't want people to think that they're going to be like, you know, sleeping in a, in a mud puddle or something. You know, we, we have we do have some infrastructure. We take a private car. Um, there's a number of nice hostels. It's just like we end up staying in the only hostel in this town because there's just not there's not much going on. So, uh, yeah, we just we just try to offer deeper and uh, more authentic uh, cultural experiences than than a lot of other companies. Yeah. And, and real quick before we let you go, can you just spew off some of the types of, you know, some additional tours that you have? Sure. So, I mean, the, the top ones uh, that, that I recommend would be, you know, the Manu four or five day, the Pusharo, uh, the Mapacha River Valley. But we also, uh, let me look at my list real quick. We have a, you know, a, a homestay, as I said, um, Chavinde Huantara, which is one of the oldest sites in Peru. And it's where um, the uh, hallucinogenic San Pedro cactus is used, and we can go there and explore these ruins. It's, it's what the Temple of Doom is based on. It's near Huaraz, which is a really beautiful area. Um, we do treks like the Lares Trek. Of course, we do Machu Picchu. You know, everyone wants to see Machu Picchu. Uh, we do Cotahuasi Canyon, which Colca Canyon is the, the touristy one, and Cotahuasi is much more remote 
And depending on how you measure it, it's the deepest canyon on planet Earth. What? Yep, Kotawasi. Almost nobody knows about it. We do, um, we do like botanical walks through the Andes and the Amazon uh, looking for different medicinal plants and, and things like that. Um, obviously, I already mentioned um, the Puchado petroglyphs, but we also do Kiabamba jungle. Kiabamba is a bit less remote, and uh, I call it the Valley of the Stimulants Tour because they grow uh, cacao, coffee, tea, and coca. So in that case, we sort of go and try uh, chocolate and coffee and tea and different fruits and, and do a homestay on a farm. But it's a, it's a bit less remote, a bit less animals and stuff like that. Um, and then, of course, we do the, uh, the plant uh, medicine ceremonies, such as ayahuasca, San Pedro, coca leaf, uh, rape, or wilka, which is a, a, a snuff that's used. Um, these can include... Um, what would I call them? Like spiritual activities. Like uh, my friend uh, does these sound healing ceremonies, which may or may not be combined with different plant medicines like San Pedro. Um, and yeah, we, we, we do a number of, you know, plant medicine ceremonies with, uh, with authentic shamans, uh, not at a retreat center, but we go to a village and uh, we visit a native shaman who, who walks us through, you know, his culture and the way that they use plant medicine people have to offer yeah a lot we try to oh one one more thing we also offer there's this um they call it a village of witches it's more like fortune tellers but we'll take people to the uh, village of witches they can read the coca leaves or uh it's like they drop coca leaves on a mat and they read your fortune tell you how many kids you're gonna have and whatnot oh like uh, uh, the girl in harry potter yeah sort of unrelated scott i told a few people about the haitian zombie (laughs) yeah yeah I don't know why the witches, witches and zombies, they just remind me of each other. But right, <laughs> some people didn't even believe me. They're like, no, that's not true. <laughs> that sounds insane. Tell them to uh, read uh, Wade Davis's book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, I think if we were to do all of your trips together, it would take about two months. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, I would recommend, so actually Mapacha River Valley and the Jungle Tour is, is my favorite. So we can actually leave out of Cusco. We can go to the Mapacha River Valley and then we can go the back way to Manu National Park. Um, it's almost the same distance. It's just on more remote roads, but the roads are good. Like they're, they're fine. Um, and then we could either do the four or five day Manu tour, or we could do the, uh, six or seven day Pucharo tour. So if it was me, I would say Mapacha River Valley and then Pucharo. Uh, and you guys have already done Machu Picchu and Sacred Valley and stuff like that. So, yeah. so, so two things I want to add. I, I want to say, if you're listening to this, Elliot and I are likely going to meet up with Scott and do these tours. So if you're interested in joining us, the Travelers Blueprint, and uh, Scott in the Amazon, reach out to us and we'll try to coordinate something together. So feel free to do that. It would be awesome to, to meet you um, and being fans of the show and we can all get together and hang out and experience this together. So, so keep that in mind. Um, one random question and mm-hmm. make your answer short. Does Machu Picchu still do it for you after seeing this Caruso extensively? Um, uh, I mean, yes and no. Like, I know it's awesome, but it's sort of like with all of just the so many people and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, Machu Picchu is cool. Everyone who goes to Peru should definitely see Machu Picchu. And I go once about every five years. I went in, uh, I went in 2010. I went in 2015. And maybe I'll, I'll go back this year. But the only reason I would go back is because I work for a company. Uh, I work for another company as well, Leading Treks. And uh, I end up in the town near Machu Picchu anyway, Agus Calientes. And I now have um, my Peruvian ID where I can get into Machu Picchu for super cheap. If it wasn't for that, I, I, I wouldn't go again. Yeah, but, it, but it's cool. Machu Picchu is cool. It, yeah. it was. It was amazing. It yeah. was. really was. All right, Scott, thank you very much for joining us for a yes. fifth time. <laughs> thank you, guys. That um, record's going to be hard to beat. If, uh, if anyone wants to know more about this stuff, you can visit my website, uh, www.ethnoco.com. That's uh, E-T-H-N-O-C-O.com. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you. you. So like I mentioned in the intro, if you're interested in coming with us to the Amazon, let us know. We're going to add you to the guest list and pending the, the date, we will let you know and we'll, we'll all go together. 
I am I've been fascinated with the Amazon jungle since I was very little since I started watching National Geographic and Discovery Channel back when I was just a ye young lad and <gasps> <laughs> I I'm hooked <laughs> that was my that was my Scottish uh, <laughs> I don't know accent there right. and 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 and, and, I'm, and I'm hooked and I'm finally so excited to know that it's going to become a reality and I'll get to go there it is really exciting. I know when we were in Machu Picchu, was, we were just like a hop, skip, and a jump away from the Amazon. It was, it almost felt like we should have just gone then. But there's so much time in life. Let's just go when we can. Yeah, and we will. So, uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. Of course, subscribe wherever you're listening to this. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, like. And uh, something that would really help us out that's really not that much work for you to do that would go really far in helping the show would be to jump on our social media pages. We're trying to grow them. And the more engagement we get, the bigger they grow, the bigger the show grows, the better guests we get and all that good stuff. So thank you for listening. If you're a fan of the show, we truly appreciate it because, uh, you know, us being able to ramble on about travel and knowing that people actually enjoy listening to us, listening to us do that feels really good. So thank you. Thank you wherever you are. And uh, tune in next week.